Coming up, we are on the eve of the third weekend of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 in theaters, and I had a few fellows who I saw the movie with join me for an evening of talking the film, implications, reactions, rankings. That is all coming up next. All right. Welcome to Nowhere. I've got with me tonight my buddy Brian, Brian Meckler, my old pal, Wilson Beaver, and newcomer to the show, Manny Mastaro, who saw tonight's go-to film with us and is, coincidentally, Wilson's brother-in-law. <laughs> They're wearing multicolored suits, laying on the floor, staring up at the sky. What's up, gentlemen? What's up? How's it going? Um, so tonight we're coming together. We're looking at uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 3, Volume 3. Um, we went and saw this movie two weeks back, and then we... I don't know what the equivalent of phone tag is when you're trying to get together for a podcast, but that's what we did for two weeks. And uh, now on the eve of having seen it two weeks ago, here we are. I'm excited. Uh, we're gonna we're, I'm gonna hit you guys with a rundown for the movie. And Brian, you want to give me the exact time it takes? Yes, sir. I will give give me one second. I got to pull it up. Oh we God. are ready to rock in three, two, go. After the movie opens to Rocket, walking through the Guardians' new home of nowhere, bumping Radiohead's classic single, Creep, the Guardians are ambushed by a sovereign creature, Adam Warlock. Warlock depletes the team and gravely injures Rocket. The Guardians determine they need to infiltrate Orgo Corp to retrieve a fail switch to save Rocket, who has experimented on as a youth. Flashback to Rocket's origins and what becomes the movie's harrowing second storyline. Present-day Gamora helps the Guardians infiltrate Orgo Corp, who then moved to Counter-Earth, current home of the high evolutionary Rocket's creator. There, the High Evolutionary begins imploding Counter-Earth as the Guardians confront him face-to-face. The team finds captured children, and in defeating the High Evolutionary, they rescue the kiddos, and Peter nearly sacrifices himself, for he is rescued by Adam Warlock. The movie ends with the Guardians as we know them, moving along their separate paths. Is your microphone smoking right now? Yeah. That was very good. Is it on fire? Is it on fire? 44.93 seconds. Wow, that's real official. Yeah, Um, I worked hard on that one, gentlemen. Uh, please, listeners, do- can you please let us know, did you get a word of that bes- besides the word warlock? That's the only word I heard. That was even shorter than a Mando rundown. Like, And Mando rundowns were – like the episodes were a lot shorter than a two-and-a-half-hour movie for Marvel. I tried really hard. <laughs> it shows. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. you. You prepped that one really well. Yeah, I actually rehearsed it for the two weeks. That's why I kept postponing and, and why I kept being like, hey, guys, let's let's not chat yet. Not yet. Not yet. Yeah, it was two weeks. Um, so what'd you guys think? Initial thoughts on the film? Manny, I'm going to go to you first. What'd you think? Uh, I liked it. I think it was a good, I think it was the first good film since Endgame. I think it was a good pick back up. Old Brian, statement. Brian, what say you? I, I mean, I'm sitting here trying to think, though, since Endgame. Um, yeah. I liked it. I I like the stroking my, of the chin, like you have. Such- I know in my it's. No, it sounds weird, but like I feel like I saw a lot of it coming. Um, you know who saw me, a lot of it coming? Your boy yeah, right here. You also were one for four in your predictions. So let's no, not okay. even go there. Okay, so um, let's recap. I said that. What What did I say? I said that. Tracks would die. Okay. Tracks would die. Did not happen. Did not happen. I said Rocket would have an emotional 
uh, love connection interest. to you love said interest. love connection. That's no. She's dead. You can't be. Man, that's weird. I didn't see that as a love interest. I thought yeah. that it was very clearly friends. Yes. I mean, she said she'd wait for him. They kind of seemed like they were like maybe close to boyfriend, girlfriend, if not official. Listen, Lila and uh, Rocket. Until you've been tortured with somebody, I don't think we can comment on this. Okay. Well, I guess Thanks. I do. I guess I don't have a lot of experience in that regard, so you might be right about that. Uh, keep going, though, Brian. What were your overall thoughts? I mean, thoughts? but I did like it. I thought it was really well. I, I always, I, I think I was excited to see how they were going to wrap this up because it's always been one of my favorites of the Marvels to go back and get into the storyline, and I think they did well. And I was pleasantly surprised with how it ended. I'll leave it at that. Where where do you have uh Brian, where do you have Star Lord character rankings? Do you have that readily available? Yeah. Uh he is I'm trying to remember when we did our big episode last summer, I couldn't remember where you had him. He is three. Yeah. I thought he mm-hmm. was high for you. Yeah. <laughs> Wilson's face. Yeah. I have it my top five rounds out. Thor, Strange, Star-Lord, Iron Man. Yeah, and I had Star-Lord at nine for this film, and I didn't oh, before yeah. this film in terms yeah. of Marvel character rankings, and he didn't he didn't move for me. Um, yeah. Wilson, what uh, what were your initial thoughts to the film? I thought it was like a comic book horror movie. That's the feeling I got from it. It was very much so like a horror movie with all these grotesque creatures, and I was kind of like almost like on the edge of my seat like i'm about to barf like from all the different creatures that were involved in the movie and i was like is this really necessary has james gunn gone too far with his character developments or his creature developments um in this movie so it it just kind of left me feeling kind of eh and it was probably if you want to like look at the trilogy for Guardians of the Galaxy, it's in the number two spot for me. Is it behind the first one? Yes, the first one was I think the best. Yeah, I'll agree with I'll agree with that that it's in, it's in the number two spot. Okay. I will say this, Wilson, to go off that point, we had this discussion in the movie theater. Like, it was definitely one of those that made you go home and hug your dogs. Like, <laughs> yes. It was, like you said, there was moments where I'm like, this is, and I said this in the movie theater, and I'll say it again, that when you get in and they had all the children in the cages and that stuff, like that, that hits you somewhere. There was a lot of, like you said, Marvel has been doing this lately, though, where they're hitting you in these emotions. Like me and Matt had the conversation with um, Thor Love and Thunder. Like they're starting to get into like some, religious territory like with gardens of the galaxy talking about like all the gods in the universe but we didn't really see, we we only saw like the secular gods and this i don't know if you guys got this but did anybody else get like a little bit of like noah's ark feeling on when they were bringing all the animals and children i was just like mm, we're getting a little bit biblical here well we, but, we totally get biblical with the high evolutionary being like one of the one of the most stark comments in the whole film is when he was like, 
There was no God. That's why I had to step in. Like, yeah. I mean, oh, that was the line I couldn't remember. Yeah. Well, I think the whole the whole premise of the movie was trying to tell the backstory of one of the most beloved and interesting characters in the MCU. Like everybody that I I talked to, everybody that you you see who's a Marvel fan loves Rocket. Like he came and he stole our hearts from the very beginning and we've been on his side all along. I mean, ever since he started talking about stealing legs in the uh in the prison scene in uh Guardian Galaxy Volume 1. And now we're seeing his whole backstory. But did James Gunn take it too far in my opinion? That's my, yeah. my question. Have you guys seen the uh that there's stuff out there that there there are people out there who want this film to come with some kind of a uh, a trigger warning because of the I don't know I guess rougher is a very blunt simple term for the animal scenes that we get with the experimentation and um, floor is the one the little rabbit that has the the fake mouth that's the one that kind of like ooh that is kind of yeah, crude it's like the bear trap she has a bear trap mouth almost. And then yeah. there was some giant creature that really got took. I had to almost close my eyes because it was just so mm. grotesque. The transformation scene, yeah. The turtle. The turtle. Was it the turtle? Oh no, no! It was one of the larger ones that was already mechanical. But yes, when he was doing the experimentation where he was turning the different animals, that was also a little gut wrenching. I was like, "Yeah, is this really necessary to like show in film like, to yeah. this degree?" Because yeah, I, I mean, I feel like Marvel is kind of teetering with Disney being the ownership between is it kid friendly, is it more adult themed? They keep going back and forth a little bit with it, mm-hmm. and so like I, I don't know when I would feel comfortable showing my own kids uh, this movie. Like it would have to be almost it'd be a minute uh, end of junior high, maybe even high school before I feel comfortable showing them this film. Yeah. It was definitely pushing those boundaries of like what is kid friendly. I mean, the hell spawn, the like grotesque, half mechanical, mm. half like boar creature. That it was a lot, especially for like a little kid. And that's what I'm thinking of. The f bomb in there and the trauma scenes with all the anim- all the tortured animals. This this movie to me was like James Gunn does the first one. And I had to bring in James Gunn because when we're sitting here talking about Marvel and, and his work on these films, obviously he's going over to DC. And I feel like the first film for him was an entry into the the superhero creation universe. And Marvel gave him a lot of room to cook and cook he did because it was sensational. And then the second one, he sort of kept that same vibe. And this one was the story that he wanted to tell with Rocket, that beloved character, um, a guy who he really feels is the f- the film trilogy's emotional core and sort of uh what's what's the term the carrying character through the trilogy even more so than star lord is what gunn has said and it seemed in this one that he's like hey i'm james gunn the first two were pretty solid i've done this for your marvel universe i'd really like to be able to have some leeway for this one and and marvel sort of gave him that corner to do what he wanted yeah i mean I, I wrote down from my initial reactions at some point, like this was a very, I think in a weird way, like Marvel is trying to get 
viewers to be a little bit more humanized. You know, this idea of like, you know, empathy and that stuff. Like, I don't know why, but I, I kept writing down that like, we don't realize how good we have it. I think mm-hmm. like for some weird way, this was a metaphor of like, what is out there? Not necessarily to like that degree, obviously, but like, you know, the I keep talking about the kids in the cages, but like, you know, you, you see that, you know, that's out there in these other foreign world countries, wherever the case may be like, and I know it's hard hitting stuff, but I agree with you, Wilson. I would not show this to a little kid, but like, I think back to even some of the earlier Marvel movies, and I don't know if I would show them to, to some, to younger kids. I think Marvel has always been a little bit more for the teenagers anyways. And, but I think that's a part of what makes Marvel so beloved is I think it's it's able to speak to these big things and it's a idea of like superheroes can still be attractive to teenagers and adults while still addressing these big issues I guess you would call them because I don't even know if they're addressing them but alluding to them well we got to think about when were these comics actually written like Marvel when Stan Lee and everything with during the heyday wasn't the the 60s and the 70s when they, they, this all got up and running is that that's correct yeah I that's right we'll go with it and we'll so, get the stats department on it sure so that's like during the 60s and 70s that was a big war time for the for mm-hmm. united states for america and so there's a lot of ruffling feathers and uh damn the man go against the government wartime uh mentality and so they did a flashback with the Captain America with World War II. There's all these other things that are going on. And then I think they had to have these undertones as they started exploring the cosmic realm. And I think that's where we're going with the Marvel Phase 5 and Phase 6 is going to the cosmic route. We've gone to the Earth. We've gone to Avengers. We've done that whole storyline. Now we've got to go to the broader universe of the MCU, which is now in the stars. You know who this film was for? This film was for a guy who's 21 years old when the first Guardians of the Galaxy comes out. He's gotten attached to this grander Marvel Cinematic Universe. He waits. He sees a sequel three years later. He waits, perseveres through a little directorial change and watches the third movie nine years later, or six years after that. And now that that 21-year-old is is 30. That's, That's me. That's Brian. I know you're about the same age. That's even though you started later, you know, which is well documented in your Marvel journey. But that's, I do think that's who this movie is for. It's not for the 10 year olds who maybe were barely alive at the time that the first one came out, which is crazy if you think about it that way. But I think this is for that older, I don't know, late teens fan who got attached to Marvel, saw the first GOG and then dove into the last two, including this one. Well, we even had the discussion, I think the last time we talked Marvel on the podcast, like think about, you know, just like we as teachers, like we can walk into the classroom, like mention Marvel movies, like kids aren't running to the theaters to see these. It's, it's our age. It's like they're, they're in there, but they're typically in there with either parents or people our age or older siblings or whatever. It's because it's not 
the heightening that it was when we were 21 and all that. And I agree, but like kudos to Marvel. They're writing to their audience, which you see a lot of times these franchises don't do. And it can hurt them or help them, but most of the time hurt them. Well, I think like the, the original comic books were written back in the day and now they've adapted to film to meet a modern time. Like it feels very modern with the technology, with the character development. And I think that they've done a great job with that. They've kept true to the essence of Stanley's vision, but now they're making it into a modern day uh, view, I guess is what I want to say. I feel like going back to that, like looking at their target audience being around like 30, 30 something in their past couple of movies, uh, specifically Love and Thunder and Guardians of the Galaxy 3, they're really pushing that uh, dad vibes thing with uh, Drax being like a dad figure to all those kids who are trapped and then Thor being the dad figure to, is it, what's the isn't it love? Is it love? Love and thunder. It is yeah. love. Yes. Yeah. So I feel like that definitely like is hitting their target audience. They have to sneak that in there. And I feel like it's, you're going to see it more in more movies coming out. Mm-hmm. And yeah, even Doctor Strange and Multiverse of Madness kind of takes a parental role towards, uh, I forget her name. Oh. America. Um, the America Gomez? Yeah, I think Ooh, that's it. That sounds right. Yeah. I mean, it'll be it'll certainly be interesting to see where there's a good point about Marvel expanding and going from past to kind of present to Cosmos, see where they go. But um, what's interesting is I don't know that they're – this is a unique property that they now own in that James Gunn is gone. They're, they're not going to have this sort of uh, ethos come out in a movie – that they're going to do in the very near future because they're not going to have that director behind it. Which leads me to the question that I wanted to ask you guys of who do you believe is the MVP or what is the MVP mm-hmm. of this movie? And I'll I'll kind of get it going by saying I originally thought it was James Gunn, but I feel like that's too easy an answer. So I've got some other answers, but uh, I want to sit back and let you guys offer some thoughts. Wilson, I'll go to you first. Who do you think is the MVP or what is the MVP of this movie? Well, I can tell you this thing. The MVP is not uh, Adam Warlock. Adam, Adam Warlock's character was terribly presented in this film, in my opinion. But going to uh, the MVP, I would almost have to say it's got, it's got to be Rocket. I mean, because it was Rocket's story, and he's still part of the, the New Guardians as I call them, because everyone's kind of going their separate ways. Spoiler alert. I mean, so I, I think it has to be Rocket. Manny, what do you think? I'm not too sure. I, I feel like... I Deception. Mean, I like it. I feel like it, it's one or more of the supporting characters you wouldn't think, like either Drax or Mantis. I feel like they really stepped up and had a lot more to offer in this movie compared to the prior movies. So where's the Lee Corso? Not so fast. <laughs> Brian, I'll let you go. Then I'm, I'm going to go off. <laughs> I feel like you're going to give us some like weird, like 
yeah, some, you're probably right. co- some co-producer that oh no i'm not gonna be, go that deep in the yeah, weeds i don't know the director of martial arts or something um <laughs> i agree with beef like just thinking about the full plot line like and maybe this is the sentimental side of me but just knowing now what rocket has gone through and to see where he is now leading the new guardians like round of applause but also i think like a close runner up like i think this is like 2008 record breaking michael phelps fingertips for the win kind of like closeness star lord fought that whole movie to save his best friend mm. and my comparison is what extent would you go to to save your first dog <laughs> Your first dog yeah that's that's a fair point right? it's it's they always say you never forget your first dog like it's the true statement like norm's my first like i would kill for him but whoa like okay like i'm not making threats out here you know <laughs> but you know you just it's the truth like he he embodied that he went literally to the extent of the universe to do that no so no love i'm just clarifying here first no love for Groot. Groot's not the MVP of the film. Great, great standoff scene. Because that was in my contention. I originally thought it was James Gunn, and I was like, well, maybe it's maybe it's that hallway scene where we get the Beastie Boys pumping through and Rocket, I'm done running. And that scene was awesome. That scene was freaking fantastic. And, you know, they're all doing their things, and the music's clicking, and we get the iconic shot of Rocket in the air shooting. And it's like the, the the classic comic rocket pose. And then I thought, well, okay, maybe it's not that scene. Maybe it's the scene that comes just a little bit later with uh, Star-Lord and Groot. And Star-Lord's like, Groot now. And he unhatches and he's got – he's loaded with ammo and right. artillery. Yeah. But I, I actually think that – I'm with Manny. Are we sure the film's MVP wasn't Mantis? Palm Climbing Toffer, however you say her name. I know I'm butchering it, but I'm in good company. I think it might be Mantis. And I, I thought about it and I laid out the case. She's the emotional heartbeat of the film. She's Peter's sister. So she's sort of that um, that centering character for Peter. She's the latest newcomer to the crew besides New Gamora. So she's got sort of a new tint to her, but she's still one of their most ingrained members. She stabilizes Drax. She puts Nebula in her place. She conquers the obelisks to the point where she rides off on them at the end. She's funny. She's a terrific fighter. I actually came away from this film, the more I thought about it, thinking Mantis is, is the MVP. I mean, especially as a glow up from when you see her just eat it on Ego's planet when she gets hit in the back of the head with the asteroid. Yeah, and she has no real purpose in two other than to be a servant and um, – serve her master and occasionally come out with this power of like, Oh, you can touch people and change their emotions. Good for you. But I think James Gunn sort of built up with that holiday special. Um, Hey, Mantis is kind of cool. Like she's a good fighter. She's got sick hops. She is incredibly entertaining and affable to be around. Um, yeah, I think it's Mantis. I mean, she also, when you see her powers, it's pretty cool. She just touched Drax and goes, forget. That's powerful. That's big. Just like erase the last however many seconds. And 
I'm now having a total like I might be making this up in my head. Didn't she have a moment where she controlled the minds of something really powerful or several foot? Oh, she she did the whole. Um, didn't she do the whole Orgo Corp? She did a whole bunch of folks at once. Am I making that up? No, no, you're right. I think yeah, she did right. all, like a whole room of people. That's pretty powerful. Like that's good stuff. She turned out to be a lot more potent than we originally got when she was just this subservient handmaid to ego in volume two. And she came in a clutch to save the guardians when it looked like they were just doomed. Yeah. What were those things called? It was the obelisks. Big thing. She rides obelisks. 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 I think. Obelisks. Whatever they're called. The big old honking seal like razor mouth things and those are the same beasts we got at the beginning of two right yes yeah 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 i think too the little relationship that she has with drax is one of the uh more entertaining but also emotional i don't know kind of stead beats of the film to where you're invested in the two of them together uh, how they impact each other what they say to each other because they're almost like a boyfriend girlfriend type situation but then also like a brother sister like spat like it's a yeah. weird dynamic and it's interesting like do we want to see them like together because Drax needs that to fill that void and Mantis needs to fill that void or are they just like brother and sister and that's how they're going to fill that void of family I feel like they prank each other very well like when he tells her let's get back on the motorcycle we'll drive back to the ship and she's like right there and then he's like yeah and then she goes off to yeah. That's good. It, they really like play into each other's silliness. And I feel like they did that a lot of development with the Christmas special with that relationship and that banter back and forth. Yeah, I would say, Wilson, I'm going to upgrade your analogy there to the boyfriend, girlfriend, or brother, sister. I think it's more, if not the incredibly teasing brother, sister, shout out my sister, Beth. Um, I think it would be more like the 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 husband wife combo because they do kind of feel like sort of the mom unit to the crew and the dad unit and it's the mom dad relationship where mom and dad have been together for like 25 years at this point they know each other's ins and outs they know what makes them tick they know how to get each other so they can kind of rib each other while also incredibly while also maintaining an incredible powerful care for the other person and when uh, she supports Drax and having Drax talk to, I think he's talking to Star-Lord and she kind of like gives him a script of what to say and she's standing in the background and he's like going yeah. off. See, I like, feel like look, that's very much like that husband and wife like supporting each other and be like, this is what you should say to that person. See, like I had forgotten about that scene, Manny, but that scene is so, it's so little in the grand scheme of things, but her jovial like playfulness comes off in that scene to where she's like making faces and standing hot, trying to hide behind the corner that she's so engagingly fun in that one scene. Um, again, just making the case for Manus is the MVP of this film. It's not, I didn't think it was rocket to, to counter you guys. Cause he's, he's like in a coma for 60% of the film. Hey, but there's flashbacks. Well, yeah, that's true. A lot we're of, not, we're not talking modern day rocket. We're talking rocket as a, this, he has lived his life. Yeah. 
Well, the whole movie's the whole movie's based on his backstory. Like, what makes Rocket tick? How did Rocket become Rocket? That's the whole premise of this movie, and that's how the big baddie of the movie comes in play. It's because it's the antagonist of the creation of Rocket. I will give Rocket props for how much he messed up the high evolutionary space. That was a good, like going back to that horror feel of the movie. That was a good reveal of him having like a mangled face. Did you guys think that it was going to be that bad? Cause we obviously a little bit before that saw the scene where Rocket sort of went at the high evolutionary. Did you guys think that it was going to be that bad? I thought it was sort of just the outer cusps of the face and that's why his face was messed up on the edges. I didn't think it was the whole dang thing. <laughs> I noticed at one point when they did a close-up of him that it was more they were pressing something backwards. So I had a feeling. Plus, I feel like Marvel has a tendency of doing that where, like, every face just looks, like, absolutely destroyed. They did it with, uh, with you know, Red Face and... Red Skull. Uh, huh? Red Skull. Uh, Red Skull. Whatever. Cross- was crossbones? That's my first mess up. Cross, yeah, crossbones. Yes. Yeah. Well, it it was almost felt like a Star Trek Borg, like Queen Borg type feel of how the face was stretched onto something else. It was like just skin stretched on top of his original skin, and it just reminded me of Star Trek, uh, the Borg Queen in the later Star Trek films. Can't attest. Haven't seen Star Trek. <laughs> hey, I give up. I give up. I've seen like two. <laughs> hey, this would be a good good spot though. We're talking about the high evolutionary. So Brian, did you update your list accordingly to account for it on our villain rankings of Marvel, uh, the high evolutionary status? Yeah. He like didn't even crack the top ten. Um Oh, okay. So where where's he at? Where do you have him? Because Wilson's like having a spastic aneurysm over there so he can share his thoughts next. Uh, he's at goat number. He's at 12. <laughs> Get out of here. So who do you have? Who's who's right above, right below him on your list? Uh, and just I'm going to give a little background for all our you know copious listeners coming to the pod. Um, we have these Marvel lists. We're a little psychotic in the sense that we have devoted absolutely far too much time to – uh, placing all these characters' movies on these lists and then updating as we go and, and thinking way too much on this. So who do you have right below and under him at 12? Uh, I have... So we can make fun of you. Okay, so remember... Oh, man, I updated the wrong list. I just realized I didn't have... Because remember, we had that conversation, but I didn't update it with the like old Spider-Man villains. Come on, Meckler! I know. I looked at real. This doesn't have them. Um, he is right in between. I don't have. Remember, I also didn't have their actual official names. Uh, he is right below the electric dude from uh, the um, newer. Oh, uh, the with the whips. Yeah, the whips. That dude. Whiplash. Who? Whiplash. Yeah, whiplash. Iron, Iron Man two. I don't even know if he's – he's not even on my list. And then beneath him is 
Mysterio from Spider-Man. Okay. Wilson, would you like to share? So you're new to the list game. Uh, would you like Have to share Have you made where... a villain's list? Oh, okay. So last week, I went, I sat down and I, instead of doing the podcast, like we were scheduled to do, I went in and I did a deep dive and created all of my list to be comparable to you guys. Love it. So my villain list, the high evolutionary comes in at number six. So who's right above, right below? All right. So right above is Loki. Wait, right above is Loki? Yes. (laughs) And right below, right below high evolutionary is Namor. Right. You said right below. Okay. Yes. What a list. Right. So, I have both yeah. of them higher. <laughs> yeah, we all we all have much diversion in our list. Um, we may have to yes, do an updating do. updating the list. What was that? Was that last summer, Brian? We had our list episode. Yeah, that might was during this Doctor Strange episode. Might have to update our list here this upcoming summer. Uh, I've got High Evolutionary in the top 10. So he is just below... The inflappable Gore the God Butcher, who I thought was terrific um, in Thor Love and Thunder. I thought that was a very empathetic character. So High Evolutionary just below Gore the God Butcher. And I think you guys are going to turn this podcast off. I haven't just above Kang. I haven't seen enough from Kang yet to really give him the oomph, the gusto of the High Evolutionary. Can I throw a flag here? I, I Jesse think high- didn't catch it. Uh, Can I throw a challenge flag? <laughs> so, all right. So lay it out for me. Why? Well, make the case. The high evolutionary. What am I supposed to be gathering from him? Other than he's psychotic. He thinks he's God. He's incredibly cruel. I didn't. No. What I, more do you want? <laughs> I mean, from a villain, he's captured all these kids. He's kept them slave-like. He keeps creating new so civilizations and. And then whenever he gets done with this, he's like, all right, bye. And he blows up the whole planet and moves on to the new one. I disagree. What more do you want out of villain? I thought he was overplayed. Like, it was just annoying. That's all I found him. I didn't find him threatening. I didn't find – I just felt like he's one of those cult leaders that you just want to be like, shut up. Wait, who are you talking about? Who are you talking about, Brian? You're going to try to make me say his name. No, I'm not actually saying Are you talking about Gore? No, I'm talking about, yeah, the evolutionary. High evolutionary. See, I think, so the top of my list, I have, just quickly to recap, Green Goblin, Namor, um, Kingpin from Netflix version of, which whatever, that's its own thing. But Scarlet Witch, Killmonger, Vulture, Thanos, Gore the God Butcher, every single one of those. I think what I really like in a villain is I like there to be some rationale for why you're doing what you're doing. Namor, I get it, right? Trying to protect his people. Scarlet Witch, trying to look out for her kids. Killmonger, thinks he has a rightful place in Wakanda. Vulture, doing it because he feels he's been wrong. Thanos, thinking he's doing the right thing for the universe. All those characters have a redeeming element to the way that they act. And the high evolutionary is just a freaking prick. See, but me and Wilson... That's why he makes it... That's what makes him a great villain. He's such a... Batty. See, he, but me and no Wilson are in different things here. Wilson thinks you should have him higher. 
I think you should have him lower. Exactly my point. He had no purpose except he was just a lunatic. Well, I think I just I just I just like how passionate we are about this, which is <laughs> what makes this podcast so entertaining. And Manny, if you, if I wish you guys could just see Manny, Manny's just take it all in and be like, <laughs> these guys are ridiculously nerdy. He's thinking, <laughs> he's thinking, what have I got myself into? These guys are as big a lunatics as the high evolutionary. I'm thinking exactly. up rebuttal. I'm thinking up rebuttals to all what you're saying. I feel like he 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 is a good villain, but only only for the reason that he has unreasonable pull. He like for some reason he has a driving force behind him that nothing can stop. He has control of gravity in a small area. He he created uh what are the golden people? The oh, sovereign. He, the sovereign he created them and was just like these are my playthings. He created all those little kids. He create he didn't steal them. He created them. He has an unreasonable amount of power. But there wasn't a lot of lead up. I feel like he he's a weird place in the chart because he doesn't have like Thanos had a lot of build up. You had a lot of backstory about why Thanos was doing why he was doing what he was doing. The Scarlet Witch, you have a lot of build up of like these are her kids. This is what happened to them. Namor, you see his whole civilization. There's no like driving force as to why high evolutionary is doing what he's did he's just like yeah it should be better i'm trying to make it perfect but like were you was there a reason behind that was did you did somebody tell you you weren't perfect and then you killed all of your people and took over all this power i i like him as a villain but he he didn't have a lot of build-up he just came out of nowhere the sovereign is a good like backstory like oh he made these people but it wasn't enough i agree so I'm hearing from Manny that he probably belongs in about the middle of Marvel villains, maybe like 10 out of the 26 that I have on my list, which is about the middle. And I'm also hearing Manny is in his is down for a Hulu FX high evolutionary backstory show. I feel like I would put him about the same as like Kang at the moment. I haven't watched Quantumania yet, but Kang has like a lot of potential, but not a lot of like gusto solid solid like this is what he is i will say i did drop kane on my king on my list looking at this when i came back to put him he remember i remember i had him ridiculously i think i had him at four which was way too high i dropped him he is he's now down i think he's at uh, yeah he's at seven so He's not at three, Wilson. Shut up. <laughs> yeah, I think it would be interesting to see where, uh, similar to what we said earlier, where does Marvel go from here, which we say at the end of every one of these movies, where does Kang go from here? Because obviously there's some stuff I ain't getting into right here, but uh, Jonathan Majors got himself in a little trouble. Um, I wanted to hit with you guys too. So we had these before we get to some other updatings of the list. Um no, no, let's do some updating of the list. Um, Wait, I Brian, thought we ranked before we update. We yeah, always rank right. before we update. I, I don't remember. I'll have to get that squared away. Okay, so we'll do this then. We'll go to those credit scenes. So we had two credit scenes. We had uh, the mid-credit scene, which is where we get uh, the introduction to these new Guardians. And then we had no, the post No, that was the last one. The first one was the uh, serial. 
Was it reversed? Damn it. Yeah, I think it was. I think it was uh, reversed because. So we get the mid credit scene with all the guardians, and then we get the post credit scene where uh, we get the the Star Lord eating cereal with his grandfather, and uh, then we cut to Star Lord will return, which was a huge revelation. So. Anybody want to take stabs at this mid credits, post credits? Who's got some thoughts? I, I want to take a stab at the. I was uh, going to send you, Manny. All right, you go. Star Wars, Star Lord will return. He's on Earth with the new Avengers. He he could return in a really big way. He was out in space, and now he's homebound. Really, I feel like it has a lot of potential to put him in a place where he can do a lot of good things, like a lot of screen time. Is it Chris Pratt, you think, Manny? uh, I don't know. I really don't. Because that's the weird thing. I don't know that I could see it being somebody other than Chris Pratt, you know? I don't think I I see anybody else, but at the same time, I don't know how much longer he'll keep on with it. I feel like he's going from, like, uh, Star-Lord is like a goofy, childish character. He's trying to like spread into other movies that are more serious. All right, Wilson, what's your theory? All right, so there's something I've been doing some research on all this. With the whole Doctor Strange and the uh, Multiverse of Madness and going back to uh, Spider-Man No Way Home, when Doctor Strange put this spell on Earth and said everyone forget about who Peter Parker is and that Peter Parker is Spider-Man, Guardians of the Galaxy were not on Earth. Thor was not on Earth. Now they're going to come back to Earth because I think Thor came back to New Asgard. Peter Quill has come back to uh, Earth. Will they make the connection that Peter Parker is still Spider-Man and will that play into a future film that they will spoil it or will they help Peter Parker become the Spider-Man that he needs to be or that Earth needs Peter Parker to be? Wow. Did you come up with that by yourself? No. Okay. I was was going to give you mad credit. That's insane theory. But it's it's something that some other ex- MCU like experts are saying that they are making that connection, and so like I went, I kind of looked back and it's like that makes sense that some of these Avenger people are weren't are not on Earth, so they might not be affected by the spell that Doctor Strange put on the people of Earth, and I think that that's the emphasis, and it w- I, I would have to go back and watch uh, No Way Home again to make sure how the spell was read and are those people from outer space that were not on earth at the time, were they affected by the spell or were they not? And do they know the real Peter Parker? I could definitely see Thor coming back and just not really caring either way. He would just be like, yes, spider boy. I know you, but I do feel like the Peter Quill. Who else wasn't like was uh, Captain Marvel? Captain Marvel wasn't. I feel like she would have like the integrity and forethought to like be like, "Yes, I know you. I know your name." What about Nick Fury? Yeah. Well, because wasn't Nick Fury on the space station the whole that whole time? Yeah, so it's a matter of when did he leave? 
because he definitely knows who Peter Parker is. And so would that play into Secret Wars? Is that what's the next big collaboration coming up? Yeah, well, yeah. Golly, that's a big brain theory, Wilson. Thank you for bringing it out of the pod. Much respect. It's going to get me all the listeners, man. I, I had not thought that far into it. I had not looked that far into it. That's a terrific theory. Kind of tie a lot of this endgame post-world, post-endgame world together. Because I that was my biggest thing grappling with, was we get the Star-Lord War return, and I thought, cool, is it going to be Chris Pratt? Is it this Star-Lord? When? How? Why? I had a lot of questions with that last post credit scene. And I think we – I don't know if you guys – got the same vibe but i feel like in our theater the general reaction to that was oh oh like that was heard a lot of that in the theater on opening night oh yeah i have the same feelings you did i'm like in what way <laughs> i was real skeptical when i saw it roll i was like cool but how yeah because like you know you watch i've watched the interviews with just about everybody like you know, Drac, uh, Batista is saying goodbye to Drax. He plans to never play that role yeah, again. he's out, dude. Like, um, Bradley Cooper was exactly what you thought was going to happen as far as Rocket. Like, uh, it's a big part of my life. That stuff, like, I'm open to whatever the universe wants me to. And that kind of plays for how it ended with him. You know, the... Chris Pratt just kind of played it off like, yeah, this is the end of the chapter, but like he didn't allude, but like you also see like he's in every movie there is right now. Like, is he going to come back and continuously play this role? I don't know. I feel like he's giving very much Robert Downey Jr. vibes of like, yeah, like I would, but like it's not going to happen kind of deal. I think he's, I read a big Hollywood reporter feature um, right before this movie came out. And I think he and Gunn are boys. I think they are best bros. I think they really bonded over the filming of this trilogy. And I think he's he was one of the biggest advocates for let's get James Gunn back in this Marvel Universe after he got fired from GOG3 originally. And I think that without James Gunn in the picture, I don't think Star-Lord's going to be quick to... I don't think Pratt's going to be quick to jump into that Star-Lord role again unless it was the right offer or... It was the right script. I, I really think he would – I'm not so uh, keen to thinking that that's going to happen again. Yeah. Um, I still think I still think there's going to be a connection with Spider-Man, Venom, Doctor Strange, and Star Wars, and some of these maybe other characters that were out in outer space, Nick Fury, and making that connection because I feel like there's a collision course that we're going to hit with Earth with – uh, Nick Fury, Spider-Man, Peter Parker, and Venom with Scarlet Witch, maybe Scarlet Witch might be hitting in it. And I think we've got to see one more boom, what's going to happen with that storyline that they've set up. They haven't done anything with yet. And honestly, we could be opening a world of possibilities with the whole, uh, was it mid or post credit scene from Multiverse of Madness where Doctor Strange has a third eye and he's opened up this um i forget what the term is for like a sliver in the alternate realities getting down in the weeds here but that that he's opened that up for potential future stuff happening yeah 
So did anybody have any thoughts on the mid credit scene? <laughs> I feel like we kind of blew past that one, that that one was definitely not as uh, eye-opening. But, I mean, we do get sort of the probably the next iteration of the Guardians. Bradley Cooper could still continue with that role. It's probably going to require, what, 20 minutes of voice work from wherever he lives for the rest of time, every time they have one of these movies. Yeah, I, I, I just Go ahead, Brian. No, you go first. Mine wasn't a big point. I feel like they need to do something more with Warlock character, with Adam Warlock. They built him up way too much in Guardian Galaxy Volume 2, being in the cocoon, and like that was the sovereign's answer to everything. He was gonna be I thought he was gonna be the next big baddie for Guardians of the Galaxy 3. And to me, it was just a huge letdown in this film. Like his character it had a weird lead-in. Like, he came out of nowhere. There was no build-up for him. It was just, bam, here he is. And then he was a joke of a character to me throughout this film. I feel like he needs to be redeemed in a future film. I feel like he... I was a, I was coming into Guardians of the Galaxy 3 really expecting him to be, like, a really big plot point. But... The way that they had, I mean, they explained it a little bit that the high evolutionary took him out of his cocoon too early. So he's kind of like half-baked, not completely there. I feel like he's like a child, though, like too much so. Like he he didn't really get what was going on around him, who, what his like place in any situation was. I feel like that might be a big key plot point in the next Guardians of the Galaxy is him going from this not understanding anything to being a functioning person. Yeah, I actually didn't hate the warlock role as much as I think in the beginning of the film, I really thought you got to be kidding me with this. This is crap. But when they did sort of explain the half baked thing and they took him out before he was essentially done in the oven, um, I kind of rationalized it a bit for me. And so I was more okay with it. And then the, the Will Poulter, the actor that, that brings that role, he, I thought he did a very nice job in what they asked him to do. And I thought he was somewhat of a redeeming character by the end, especially with the fact that he saves Star-Lord and adds himself to this Guardians team with that saving act. I didn't hate him as much as it sounds like Wilson, who I have in my notes, Wilson hates Adam Warlock. Um, <laughs> didn't hate him as much as you, but I, I could see that – I could see where you're coming from. Well, I, I was – when I saw the cast – and I saw him being cast as Adam Warlock. I was like, really? You took the little squirmy, squeaky little kid from Meet the Millers, the comedy with Jennifer <laughs> Aniston and Jason Sudeikis, and you're like, you put him into this big role? No, this is going to be terrible. I mean, you were totally off with that. Hey, he was raised by Ted Lasso. Just saying. Yeah, it, it's my point. A, That's my we point. Should, we should get a ding for Brian brings in a Ted Lasso reference. <laughs> I feel like Guardians is really the place for any character to go to grow up. Peter yeah. Quill, uh, when Groot became, went back to a baby and then grew up into what he is now. He was like a teenager in Guardians of the Galaxy 2. It's like very much like a nerd, like going back to the parental, like the dad and the mom and dad vibes. It's like a family unit, pretty much. Going back to the gr- growing up thing, 
was anybody in the in the fact that we're on the ending credit scenes? They like literally windled Groot down to a head. The last time he windled down, it took him five movies to get back to adult version. Was anybody else a little bit confused that just in the magically in the ending credits, he was back to like bigger than ever size? Like he didn't have to go back to baby Groot with a big head. Well, I think it's because in the first movie, he got blown up by a infinity stone. Then I think this one, he got, he just got, his head's got severed. So I think he was able to repair it easily because he is a tree-like creature of some kind. Well, so Groot's supposed to be like super, super old, but he, he did like his leaf thing or his flower thing where he like turned into the ball and like had his little pollen things go in the first movie. I feel like he isn't fully grown yet. I feel like he's at that stage where like teenagers, kids, they like just bounce back from any injuries. Cause like first time we see Groot ever in Guardians of the Galaxy one, he's skinny. He's not like this like broad chested, like big tummy thick guy that he is in this movie. True. Yeah. I okay. think that's one plot device that they'd like us to just overlook that. Hey, let's not think too much about this Groot thing. Let's just go with the fact that he's really big really powerful, really impactful, and he and Rocket are the best tandem this side of Batman and Robin. Do you guys believe that theory that when we hear him say, I love you guys, that it's now that we understand his language and it's not that him just saying a different thing? Because I 1,000% believe that. That went over my head in the theater. Oh, I think it went over everybody's head, but then when you listen to every podcast and every theory and read everything, like, yes, that makes so much more sense now. I will tell you guys that James Gunn himself has confirmed that theory. Yeah, Uh, James Gunn is pretty active on Twitter, and somebody straight up asked him, hey, this theory that's going around when Groot says, I love you guys, at the end, that it's us being able to understand him because we're now part of the family, and James Gunn straight up said, yeah, that's it, you got it. Um did you guys know that um, Vin Diesel re? This is like the first time that this uh, has been filmed in like uh, I think it's like five or six different languages, and he filmed all of them like reading the different like dialects. And he said the first time that he messed up was the first time that he had to say, "I love you guys," not like in a different language. Just the fact that he had to say a different line. <laughs> Shout out my guy, Vin Diesel. I'm going to see him in theaters this weekend when I go see Fast 10. Oh, shut up. Oh <laughs> All right. I think it's time. Let's rank the movie. So the way that we lay it out, uh, we do a standalone ranking because Brian and I are idiots and we've come up with these strategies. We've got a standalone ranking. We've got a Marvel ranking. And the difference between the two is obviously what would you rank this film as a standalone film? What would you rank this film when you put it in the greater context of the Marvel Cinematic Universe? And then we'll get to our final uh, ranking of where this movie goes in the all-time canon for Marvel Studios. So, hey, Manny, can I throw it to you first? Where do you rank this movie? And you could just rank it straight up or do the crazy scenarios I just laid out. So as a standalone movie, it's a it's a really good – are we doing a out of 10, out of 5? Yeah, yeah, we'll go out of 10. And if you give a solid number, we're so pissed. No, solid numbers are totally acceptable. Brian's no, they're not. Deranged, then he likes to come up with like six point four two. It's the barstool theory. Come on. 
as a standalone movie is like with the other three Guardians of the Galaxy, I would put it like eight point seven. I feel like I feel like the music didn't hit as strongly as the other two movies. I feel like it there was a lot more background songs rather than vocal like really vocal songs, really lyrical songs. In terms of Marvel movies, I made my own ranking list. I didn't go like one, two, three. I did like a S tier, A tier, all the way down to D tier. It's a it's a solid A tier up there with Guardians of the Galaxy two. Not terrible, not the best, but pretty solid. Um, and what was the last one? The Marvel ranking. So we've got standalone ranking. Where does it go on its own? And then where does it go as a, as a Marvel property? compared to everything else Marvel's got going? Uh, I would say, like, up there, maybe, like, pushing top 15, top 10. Okay. Wilson, what do you think? As a standalone movie, it's a little better than Ant-Man Quantumanium. And so I I think I gave Quantumanium, like, a 4-point-something, 4.3. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. You did hate this it. Is, this is probably like a a six. I wouldn't, as a go, standalone, I wouldn't go much confirmed. Yes, as a standalone okay. film because it, it. But I feel like you had to have a lot of background knowledge of the film for it for you to fully enjoy it. Otherwise, it was just a bizarre cosmic horror film, like I've said from the very beginning. Okay, what do you think as a Marvel movie, Wilson? All right, so. On my list, it is mid-range, so it is like number 18 on my list. Wait, you didn't rank it between 1 to 10. You just gave us the ranking. <laughs> yeah, I think this may be on me as a teacher. The instructions were Yeah, you did not give the instructions well. No, oh, I, I said it was, a, it, was, it was a 6. It was a 6 uh, out of 10. For a standalone, but you didn't give a ranking for the Marvel. Yeah. All right, so for the Marvel. Yeah, all right. there we go. I would still say in the six range. As a Marvel movie, okay. I, it was just, it was too much for me. I couldn't get That's... over the fact, uh, fact of the, the horror feature of it. Um, and I, like, I know we hadn't talked about it much, but the whole Star-Lord and Gamora... Um, relationship just kind of irked me. Like I had to go back and do some research, research today about what was the back story with that because it's been so long since we've seen Star Lord and Gamora together. Yeah, and that's so fair. That just, it just sat weird with me, and I was like, because they were such a great couple, and I, so I had to go back and look and watch Endgame, like clips of it to see what was that dynamics of Gamora and Star Lord. And what was Gamora's backstory leading into this film? I think that's where that line hits at the end where they kind of turn to each other and they're like, I bet we were a lot of fun. And there's there's some some emotional, just like dejection that sets in right there. Like, God, we're never going to see the two of them as they were previously. And that's, that's sad, but it also, in a little bit of hindsight, makes you appreciate the, the Star-Lord and Gamora combo that was. All right, Brian. You're um, up. I will say this. I'm going to give you a little, little, little taster. This is actually my largest 
difference between a standalone and a Marvel ranking. Standalone, I kind of went off of what Wilson said of like the fact that like there was a lot of strong elements in this with the animal cruelty, the children in the cages. There was a lot to try and understand this whole like the world's not perfect. God wasn't there kind of things. Those things really stuck out to me. Um, I gave it a 4.2 as a standalone. Um, I, like I said, I, I agree with Wilson. I, I'll go see it by myself. I don't know if I would take many others. Like what, there's even like a lot of adults that I know that I don't know if they could sit through it. Um, as a Marvel movie, though, it made sense. It, it really did. Like you learned the story of Rocket. You you got to kind of see the ending of you know how each of them progress, and you know you saw the love of Star Lord for his best friend. We got to kind of start to see you know Warlock come into the picture. There was a lot like to understand, and I thought it was good. Um, kind of like Wilson said, give it a little bit more than. Um, uh, God, uh, Quantum Mania. I gave it a six point one. You know, just kind of round a six. So, uh, but wait, are, am I giving list too, or are we just waiting? Yeah, yeah, go for it. Give, give me your list. Um, it, even though I gave him a six, it wasn't up there. It finished number fourteen. Okay, so wait, where, was, where? Manny, you said top fifteen, right? Yeah. Okay, and then Wilson, what was your overall movie ranking? 18. Yeah, all right, so you guys are all in the same neighborhood. Yeah. Like, and I go back to Wilson's, one of Wilson's earlier points, like, out of the Guardians of the Galaxy trilogy, I definitely think it's number two. Um, It's slightly above number two for me, but it's still number two. Um. I just want to go back for a second and clarify. You guys liked Endgame, right? Like you were there, you you watched Endgame? Yes. Okay. Where Gamora was literally freaking thrown off a cliff right before Scarlett Johansson fell off the cliff and died for the rest of eternity. (laughs) All right, because I need to preface with what I'm about to say. So – I, I like you guys. It definitely is a is not as good of a standalone film because there's all the backstory of Gamora and what has happened with the Guardians, and here we are. So, but as a standalone film, I agree that the music did not hit as well as in previous films. I still thought the music was pretty solid, and especially when we get Badlands from Bruce Springsteen just to roll through the credits, that was great. I like that. So, I gave this a seven out of ten as a standalone film, which again. It's sort of a precursor to where I'm about to go as a Marvel film. Guys, there's no way this wasn't double digits as a Marvel film. I put 11 to 10, 11 to 10 as a Marvel film. I thought, what are you coming to the movie theater for if not for awesome action scenes, the characters to vibe together, the music, the world building, the comedy. Check, 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 check. This movie had everything that you would want out of a Marvel movie. And the scene at the end where they're dancing to Florence and the Machine and we get Drax's happy send-off, Mantis's happy send-off, Star-Lord goes back home and eats cereal with his grandpappy, Rocket is getting the emotional scene with father. Lila. No, his grandfather. His father. Grandfather. Grandfather. Silence over there. That's what I said the whole time, the grandfather. 
<laughs> he gets this whole emotional core with the flashbacks and and Lila. You guys have talked about how good a villain High Evolutionary was. This movie, there's no way. I do not rationalize this movie as less than a 10, and I think it's one better. I think it's 11 out of 10. I told you guys to brace yourselves <clears throat> for where I have this film on my Marvel list. Boys and Girls, this checks in at number seven, right behind Avengers Endgame and right above Avengers. Wow. Oh. Brian I mean, left the room. Did, what? You, you did make a good case. Nope. It did hit all those points. It did, It was yeah, a you really made, good. You made a good point, but like, no. <laughs> I'm telling you, you go to watch a Marvel film. What do I want? Man, what? I hope they drop Hold a track. On. Hold on. Like, I got to go to this list. I mean, opening with Creep. Ending with all days, it, the the music that did hit hit pretty perfectly. That's what I said, man. You had a point about some of it was not as sharp and timely as in previous films. Like Mister Blue Sky starting us off the second film was one of the best that Marvel's done. But I, if I'm going to the movie theater to watch a superhero film, I think what they did in this film is a lot of what I'm looking for in a movie. Going to watch a Marvel movie. I'm looking at my list. I think at the absolute highest I could put it is 11. You're like a car salesman right now. 11. Best I could give you. Like, no, like, that's true. Like, where am I Where am I comfortable? I'm comfortable them at 14. The highest I can put them is 11. Because, but I also think, like, we've had this discussion. My Marvelous is different than your Marvelous because of what are, how we rank them. Because we never put any parameters on it's like how you view it nothing official right yeah and like me we've had this conversation almost every time i view thor movies so much higher than everybody else which shut up wilson just (laughs) they're the best and i also rank dr strange movies higher so like I have a couple of them much which i know wilson would probably have some of these way at the bottom just curious, Wilson, where do you have Love and Thunder? <laughs> yeah, this is this is I need to know. I want to know how far off we are. It's ninth from the bottom. So, so what? I think twenty-third. Something like that. Oh, I have it at ten. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's the thing with the list. Is they're all pretty subjective, uh, but Manny, go ahead. You were going to go there. Uh, I have Love and Thunder and Dark World in my bottom four. Twenty-five, twenty-five <laughs> for me. Twenty-five along along with Eternals and multi- Multiverse of Madness. You guys are going to tier. We have this argument every time. Dark World for me is still. Hold on, where is it? Where is Brian's it? Brian's going to have to take off work tomorrow. Second from the bottom. No, it's not. It's. Dark World is 13 on my list. I thought it was good. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you thought wrong. <laughs> there is nothing. I'm going to go back and watch this movie and send you guys updates on why I think I'm going to do my own podcast on why Dark World is still a good movie. You should publish a book and call it A Lunatic's Thoughts on Thor, A Dark World. And you just give like three minute updates on the film, like the weird freaky goblin dude just did this. I love this scene. Everybody else mm-hmm. hates scene okay that's not what i'm i thought the overall plot of it was really good was garbage oh sorry 
Okay, wait, but we believe some dude that wants to play himself as God and create little human animals is more believable than like a dark being going into human beings and taking over them. Yes. Come on, that makes a whole lot more sense. Manny's shaking his head too. Yes, actually. Just laid it out. No, I definitely think there's a there's an episode in the works where we got to update and maybe it becomes an annual tradition. We got to update the list to kind of lay it all out for the two and a half people on this planet that actually give a crap about what lists we have that are not already sitting here. Uh, but we do need to probably square away those lists. Just to throw a little bit of fuel on the fire. Um, really weird in Dark World when they have the Aether not be an Infinity Stone, but goop. Goop that seeps. It, yeah. it, there are some deficiencies in that film. <laughs> I'm sorry. I watched it, and there was other movies that I got bored with. I did not touch my phone watching that movie. I, I slept through it. I touched. I touched my phone. I'm sorry. I was bored in Iron Man too. I was not bored in in Dark World. I will stand on this hill. All right. So, as we recap here, Wilson detests Adam Warlock. Manny was a lovely addition to the pod, and Brian is irrational about Thor Dark World. <laughs> oh, and this film was fantastic. I think we could we could wrap it there. Fellas, thank you for joining me. Thank Always you. Great. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having me. It was great uh great to come on the podcast. <laughs>